Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Fenton's sermon today is The Transformative Mercy Principle. The big idea is that Jesus shows mercy to all who draw close to him. And likewise, we should show mercy, forgive those who we encounter every day. It's indeed a privilege to be back here at Mountain Brook Baptist Church again. An honor to be with you. We look forward to see and hear how God speaks to us today. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. A very familiar passage of Scripture. One that we probably heard when we were children in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school because it presents some beautiful and unusual imagery. But it's more than just a story. It contains and presents great truth. The scripture says, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what... (laughs) And, and what had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Let us pray. Father, speak to us. Allow us to hear your word. Jesus' name, amen. One Sunday several years ago, my wife and I went back, were at church, and I would preached, and we went to the back of the auditorium, and we're greeting people as they left and interacting with them. An older gentleman in the church, as he came by, said to me, I've read a book. I want you to read it. I've got some questions. Well, he, he frequently read books that he recommended to me. 
He was a very scholarly man. Usually the books were at least three to 400 pages long, and I didn't always find them to be interesting. And I said, well, call my administrative assistant uh, this week, and uh, we'll order that book, I promise you. I didn't say I'd read it. I said, you know, order it. And I did. I, that week we ordered the book, and when I received it, I was, was surprised. It was a rather simple book. It was simply 22 stories of people who had been forgiven or people who had forgiven someone else. It was written by an Episcopalian minister. You may have read the book. It's called The Forgiveness Book. It's very simple, positive, encouraging stories of people who have known the power of forgiveness. It surprised me that this man who was such a deep thinker on that he wanted to discuss this book. I called him, we set up a time. He said, I've been greatly troubled since I've read that book. I've asked why, and I thought perhaps there was one or two stories that maybe have caused some kind of disturbance to him. He says, no, it was the accumulated impact of the book. He said, as I look at my life, I realize that when I am forgiven and when I am forgiving, it's like a magic elixir to my soul. I have more energy and enthusiasm for life. But why don't I want to forgive? He says, if something can be that good for your soul and can change your entire outlook on life, why do we resist it? And why do we resent it? And then he said in a very revealing way, and why do I carry so much anger with me all of the time? Good question. When you think about it, to some degree, we probably deal with the same issue. We all know the virtue of being forgiven, the virtue of forgiving others. We know the power that it creates in our spirit, the enthusiasm we have for life. But it's not something we frequently do, and often we have to be pushed. We are pushed into it, and sometimes we go through the motions and we say, I'm sorry, or you're forgiven, and it's more out of guilt rather than out of grace. Why is it so difficult? Is there a word from God that helps us understand this? There is a powerful word from God in a story. It's a story that when you first hear it or first read it, you may think it's a story about faith because the faith of four men are mentioned and they're commended for their faith. But it's really a story about forgiveness and about God's mercy. Here's the setting. Jesus was in Capernaum. He was teaching, and as most of the time when he was not teaching as he was walking along, he was teaching in a home. And the home was filled with people, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and other teachers of the law, they managed to get the best seats in the house and 
The houses were rather small, so the doors and the windows were open. The room was completely filled. And because Jesus was known as a healer, and it, Luke tells us that he, he had the power of God upon him at this stage of ministry to perform the miracle of healing. In other words, during this stage, his healing was quite prominent. There was a man, a paralyzed man. No doubt he had uh, heard of the message of Jesus. He wanted his friends to bring him. He couldn't walk, so they, they carried him on a mat, or much like you and I would say, a gurney. And they came to the house, and they couldn't get in the house because the room was full, and they couldn't work him through, and nobody would step aside. So they get up on top of the house, and they take a portion of the roof off, and which was not not something that was that unusual because houses in that day were built with a very slight pitch, just enough that the water would run off. And then there were what the scripture calls tiles, but they were more sort of mats that were placed there and you would pick the mat up and then you could see down in the, 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 the primary area of the house and these four men climb up, they have the friend on the gurney, and probably they have to, two of them start to let him down, the other two probably go through and are able to receive him, and he comes almost standing up, but he couldn't stand, but he, it's on the mat and the gurney, and then they, let, they bring him and he's right before Jesus. Now, remember the scene. The religious leaders and the Pharisees, they are the most prominent people there. Most people in that day believed that if you had an illness or you were paralyzed or there were any major problems in your life, it was because either you or your family had sinned. It was God's way of getting even and making sure that you paid or your family paid for your sin. No doubt this man was, had heard that all of his life. He probably was no one in the community. The four friends, they probably had to be talked into it. And they interrupted a meeting and we cannot think of it like a church setting. It was probably chaos. Imagine if you looked up and somebody was being lowered into this room, you would jump back and it was, it was a chaotic scene. Now, as he's lowered into the room, Jesus acknowledges the faith of these four men. And he looks at the man who is lying on the gurney and says, your sins are forgiven. The man didn't ask for his sins to be forgiven. The four friends didn't ask for sins to be forgiven. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're very concerned about that because in their view, only God can forgive and they're asking among themselves and Jesus can understand their minds and perhaps even hears part of the conversation they're having as they mumble among themselves. And he says, why are you asking this question? Why are you asking 
about who has the power to forgive. And he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Well, obvious, the easiest thing to say is your sins are forgiven because you can't look at anybody's life and see if their sin is forgiven. But if Jesus tells a man to get up and walk, you can see immediately whether there is power in that statement, whether he has healed that man. And so Jesus then says, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive, I will say to the man, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. He goes his way, he is rejoicing. The people are praising God. End of the story. There's no interpretation. There's no explanation of it. Well, part of the reason is in the setting for part of the story is the setting of how and where it happened. And part of it was hoping and expecting the reader to unpack it. The religious leaders were partly right and partly wrong. They believed that no one other than God had the power to forgive. They were right. But they believed that Jesus was a mere mortal. He was a mere man. Therefore, he could not forgive. They were wrong. And Jesus was using this as a teaching moment to say, I'm the son of God. God has granted in me the power to forgive. But when you unpack the story a little bit more, you understand one of the reasons why forgiveness is so difficult. It's because it's unnatural for the human being. It's a divine act. The poet has said, to err is human, to forgive is divine. He was accurate. You cannot forgive unless God is involved. So they were, they were technically in some ways correct. But then what does that say about us? Well, you and I know as believers, that the presence of God is in us. That the power and the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in our life. And as God is within us, then we can forgive one another. We can be forgiven. It's not that we're miniature gods, but the very presence of God is within us. We can only get, forgive as God is present. But why is it so difficult? How do, we, how do we get to the place that we can forgive? When you look upon the words of Jesus, you recognize that humility was such an important virtue in the book of James, James tells us that God shows favor to the humble. That's 
not as strong as a way of stating is that it really is that God's presence is real in the humble. One of the reasons we do not experience forgiveness or we're unable to receive it and to accept it is a lack of humility. In a church that I served a number of years ago, a young couple came to meet with me regarding some marriage problems in their marriage, and uh, there, were, there were no problems any more serious than any other couple has. And they were discussing them, and the conversation went along very well. And she says, but my husband cannot admit that he is wrong. And he didn't respond. He just, you know. And he says, well, sometimes I'm that way. Well, it was obvious that that was an important issue in his life. He was also a part of the local school system. It was a small district. He, he was in his first year of teaching, and he had violated a, not a moral code, but a, 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 a responsibility that he had. He was brought before the superintendent and brought before the school board, and all he had to say was, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. But instead, he sought to argue and try to defend himself. And it wasn't long until that didn't go very well. At the end of that year, tenure was not granted. He was dismissed from the job. He came to see me the day that he and his wife were moving to a new community. And I will never forget what he said. Pastor, this is the most unforgiving community that I've ever lived in. Of course it was. He couldn't admit that he was wrong. Now, you take his story and you move it into our story. There are many occasions where we cannot admit to God that we're wrong. Oh, we may say, Father, forgive me for losing my temper, but... And then we explained to God why we lost our temper. We, it was because someone made us angry. Someone said something where we really said what they deserved. We're just sorry that it caused the complication. We used that same scenario over and over again where there is never a, a real humility, a sense of deep need to be forgiven. Think about the man who was before Jesus, what great extent he went to, hoping to be healed, but in the presentation of his humility, he experienced forgiveness. In order to be forgiven, there needs to be a deep sense of humility in our life. But in also in order to forgive someone else, we have to have a deep sense of humility. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, a verse that everybody knows. A verse that, you know, says, If my people, who are called by not my name, humble themselves. That's the first command. Humble themselves. 
And then it says God will renew. God will forgive and renew. And, and it's a great promise of God. But woven into that promise of God is the condition of humility and confessing our sin and acknowledging who we are. It's very possible that for many of us, forgiving the sins of others is more difficult than being forgiven ourselves. Especially when we have been wounded and hurt deeply. Early in my ministry, when my daughters were all three in elementary school, they met a family that had three daughters. And they invited that family to church. And the mother and the father and the three daughters started coming to our church. They started to get a little bit involved and it was an exciting time because it wasn't that large of a church and you knew when a, when a new family was there. A lady came to see me probably about after the third or fourth time that the family had been in church and said, Pastor, I know that you think that husband and that family is a good family. They're not. You need to know the truth about him. And she proceeded to tell me what she thought was the truth. Because that gentleman's first wife had been a relative of hers. And she explained how terrible he had been. She didn't know that the husband had already explained that to me and acknowledged what he had done was wrong and was very, very sad for that chapter of his life. But she says, if you allow them to come to the, this church, I will make a scene. I said, that's a pretty strong word. She says, no, he embarrassed, he's embarrassed my cousins publicly, and I will embarrass him in this church. I don't care who sees or what happens. Well, I just thought she was, you know, sort of exploding, and she was an explosive personality. Several weeks went by, and I thought, well, She's got over it. One Sunday morning, uh, I was sitting on the platform as our minister of worship was leading the worship, and I saw them come in towards the back, and the church was, um, it was a, a good-sized church, but there were not many in attendance, and especially, it was a holiday weekend, and there wasn't that many people there, and I saw them standing, and I could see her looking across the congregation looking and she was looking for someone and then she spotted him on the fourth row to my right the gentleman with the three daughters and his wife were seated she and her husband come right in they come down the aisle there's a seat behind that family and she looks straight ahead and she watches that man the entire service I don't remember what I preached on that day. I'm sure it was good, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I said because I was thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to hold this? You know, what, what happens? And in my mind, so many scenarios were happening. As it came to the conclusion of the sermon and the time for response, I decided to pull the old Southern Baptist 
evangelist uh, 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 model. I said, every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm going to ask our minister of worship, would he sing the invitation to us? Because I thought we'll, he'll sing one verse, and then I will draw the service to a conclusion, and they'll all go home, and I'll be there to referee the fight. When I ask every head bowed and every eye closed, I kept my eyes open. And I watched her. The lady reached in front of her and punched him on the shoulder, the gentleman that she despised. He turned around, and I could see and read her lips. I forgive you. He looked at her. I asked him later what he said. He said, I receive your forgiveness, and I ask to be forgiven, and I forgive you. That was all that was said. He reached out to shake hands. Everybody else was head bowed, eye closed, and they gently just hugged and he shook her husband's hand and when the service was over they went their separate ways. I spoke to the lady later that week and said I saw what you did. She said I wasn't sure what I was going to do but she says in the process of asking God for the strength to really tell him off she said, God made me aware of my sin and all of the vast hatred I had in my life toward him. And she said, I realized that I was just as guilty of sin as he was. Humility. Forgiveness. I've pastored for over 46 years. That event was the most amazing miracle that I've ever seen in a church service. It was where two people who were so different and so much baggage there that came together. No, they didn't become good friends. That too much had gone under the bridge, but they were able to experience kingdom of God living together. Now, think about that. What if in this church, what if in our Christian churches in America, we were known as a place where you could be forgiven and where you would forgive one another? For the world is not interested in our stands, they're interested in our steps. What are we doing to bring a broken world together? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is only possible through the power of God working through us. But it is God only works through the humble because it is not a, something where God has made up a rule, I'll only work through the humble. It is that is when our heart is willing and able 
to do what God would have us to do today. It is our desire that you will experience forgiveness. And it is our desire that you know the joy of forgiving one another in the power of the Spirit. Let us pray together. Father, you know our hearts. You know there are times that we have been angry and we have been hurt. And we have gone through the motions of saying we have forgiven someone. But we really haven't. And as a result, the bitterness in our soul has festered. Father, there are times that we have wanted to be forgiven, but we just couldn't acknowledge that what we did was sin. We were so sure that our action was justified, even though it may have been unfortunate. Today we come before you and say, we have sinned. Forgive us. Help us to acknowledge to you and to others that we are forgiven. Now may your spirit work in us to bring your kingdom into power. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.